to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is a podcast created to enhance, connect, and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you happen to be tuning in from today, I want to thank you for making time to listen to this conversation that we have with another yog, a Yarra Old Grammarian. And today I'm going to sit down with Kristen Collins from the class of 1992. School captain back in the day. Certainly a deep thinker. Somebody who goes out there and has ideals, can see what they'd like to contribute to the world and then actually goes and puts some skin in the game gets dirt under her fingernails and does her part, plays her role in making a positive impact in the world. In this conversation, we're going to talk a little bit about highlights of school life, of travel, the benefits and maybe some destinations within Australia and indeed internationally as well. Kristen Collins, a debater, a school captain, a leader, a mum, a partner, a hard worker, and a good thinker. I'm sure that you're going to enjoy this conversation. My name's Paul Joy, and it's a delight to share this episode of Inspired by Yarra with you. I'm going to begin by asking Kristen, at what year level did her journey at Yarra begin? Yeah, so I started in year 11. Um, at that time, it was only girls allowed in year 11 and 12. So that was uh, my entry to Yarra Valley. I'd come from an all-girls school <laughs> since prep, so it was a massive shock for me um, coming into effectively what was essentially an all-boys school. Um, I'll, I'll never forget First Assembly, which at that time was still held, um, I think it was in the old basketball stadium um, the George Wood um, Performing Arts Centre hadn't been finished at that point um, and I just remember walking in and all the boys eyes were on us <laughs> it was quite quite intimidating um, yeah just something that I'd not experienced before obviously had, having been at an all-girls school so that was definitely a an interesting memory for, from the first week. Absolutely and that's around about a time of your development and growth and and experience as a young woman um, that it having some attention from boys is probably not a bad thing the odds are stacked in your favor aren't they in in that sort of ratio they were certainly stacked in our favor uh, um, I think it was I think there was about 120 boys to about 40 girls I think um but yeah so yeah the, the odds the odds were looking pretty good for us. So what did it look like? Did did the girls kind of hang together in terms of socially and out in the yard and, and even in the classroom? Did the girls tend to sit together and, and, and be together or was it you were sort of welcomed in fairly quickly? Um, I think a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, certainly didn't feel unwelcome, um, but at the same time I think certainly the girls did stick together for the first little while. Um, I can tell a funny story about one one particular class where the girls were sitting together 
And the boys in that particular class decided, well, that's not going to happen. Um, so they sat in every second seat. So we had to sit next to the boys. Um, so that's a pretty funny memory of, of that time. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the girls, yeah, because there were sort of so few of us, um, we, we built up a really close relationship, I think, for, for many of us, um, just because it was sort of such a shock for, for a number of us. And and no disregard to the boys, but for them to, A, be on time to class and be coordinated enough to make this plan, that's pretty good going for those boys. There was motivation there. There definitely was motivation um, and, and a lot of humour in that too. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And And where did you tend to enjoy spending time from a curriculum perspective or an academic perspective were you sort of in the drama or arts were you in music or was it the math sciences where, where would we find you if we were looking for you academically yes I wasn't the math sciences <laughs> um so I was I was one of those kids that um in, was involved in in everything um I did drama I did debating I did music as a year 12 subject um I did psychology, um, English literature, so I was definitely more on the artsy side um, than than you know than maths and science. Although I did do a maths subject in Year Twelve. Yes, it, it's interesting to me the number of people who I I get to talk to where debating has been part of their experience and. We, it's still something that happens today and it's still a really strong part of, of our school and, and, and the culture. And for those of um, perhaps parents of students who are listening, um, what are the benefits of debating? What What's the value of that? What, why am I hearing so many people who say that debating was a, a, a good part and a, an important part of their growth through school? Um, a couple of things, I think. Um... I think firstly it gives you confidence to speak in front of people, um, which which nowadays is, is really important. Um, it's not everyone's cup of tea at all, um, but but having that experience of, of speaking in front of generally a smallish group of people is is um, is a great way to start um, and you know to start to build your confidence um, around speaking in front of people. Um, I think also it it enables you to. Um, it, it helps with your critical thinking. You, you've got, you, you know, you set a topic and you've got to quickly think on your feet sometimes, depending on the type of debate, um, what, your, what your key arguments are. So it kind of helps to distill the, the important information, the, the key points you're needing to bring across and hopefully not have as much fluff, <laughs> you know, in, in your speech um, because you've got less time to think about it. So it, makes you, it helps you think on your feet. I appreciate the the value of needing to think on your feet and uh, and and put a few words together. Did that lead in your experience to other opportunities where perhaps you had to speak to a larger audience, whether it be around um, the house system or student leadership? Were there other opportunities at school where you had to speak to an audience? Um, yes. So I actually ended up being school captain. So I did. Um, have to do a, a number of speeches and um, gave the the valedictory speech in year 12 and co-captain Jeremy McVean gave the, the valedictory speech at the dinner, I believe. I hope I got that right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I definitely had experience giving speeches in front of um, larger audiences. Fantastic. Many people who are listening to this will either reflect back 
to the student leaders of their time uh, or maybe aspiring leaders today. What does good leadership mean? Whether it's a student leader or maybe a leader in business, a leader in family, a leader in community, what, what do you put down to good leadership? That's a good question. Um, lots of books have been written about this topic. Um, I think for me it's, it's good leadership. Being a good leader is actually not about you as the leader. It's about bringing the best out of people, bringing the best out of the team, whatever that might be. Um, you know, you've got to, you've, as a leader, you have to set some clear targets, guidelines, strategy, approach, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, but it, it's about the team and their journey to achieving that strategy or objective or whatever it is you've, you've set out. Um, so it's actually not a, about you and how well you're, I mean, it, yes, it is. It's about how well you're doing in terms of um, bringing the team along. But it's not, oh, wow, Kristen, you're amazing, you're the leader, you get all the credit. It's not like that for me at all. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to invite you to put all humility aside for a moment. How did you stack up as a school captain? Did you do any good, do you think? I think so. I think so. I think most people were, were pretty happy with us. Um People still talk to talk to me when we go back to reunions, so maybe that's a good sign. Um, still refer to me as, as Cap, um, which just seems like, you know, eons ago since I was actually school captain and it, it is eons ago. Um, but, yeah, no, I think I went okay. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, and I haven't heard anything, anything to the contrary, so we'll go with that. Do you remember um, back in the day, did you – you know, in that senior school part of the the experience, did you did you still go on excursions? Did you get out of the school very much? Whether that be to um, to visit a workspace or to perhaps do some community work, do you remember getting outside of the school much? To be honest, my my memory is fairly hazy of of that side of things. Um, I, I do remember a, a camp I went on a music camp to Tasmania. Um, which was, you know, it was a great experience to, to go to Tasmania and perform. Um, I can't remember if it was the full orchestra or if it was just a few of us. Um, but, you know, that was a great experience to, to be able to travel interstate, you know, on behalf of the school. And, um, yeah, that, that was a fun time. I do remember that particular camp. Yeah, great. And what was your contribution to the music group? What did you play? Um, I played a little bit of percussion. Um, I played the double bass. Um, that, that, that was about it. <laughs> Very good. And, and again, any, any lessons or any benefits, long-term benefits around music and being part of a group and contributing in that way that, that you sort of, at the time you're not aware of, at the time you're just enjoying yourself and you're having fun and you're creating music and you feel part of something. But looking back, do you think that they are, I guess, formational times to be part of a music group like that? I think so. Um, you know, going back to the, the, the team point I made before, you know, it's just being part of a team is such a critical thing in, in society, I think, whether that's a sporting team, a music team, a business team, a family team, you know, um, just understanding the contribution that everybody makes, um, 
you know, in, in an orchestra is really important and, the, and the, the contribution you make as an individual, I think that's, that's, that's an important lesson to learn more broadly. Um, and, and actually just going back to the leadership question, I also view leadership as a little bit like being a conductor. You've got various parts of a business. This is in the business context. Um, and they've all got to be working together. They've all got to be singing to the same tune. Um, and so that I do correlate um, leadership with um, being a conductor, a music conductor of an orchestra. Um, but I think, you know, for me, doing music at school and doing a Year 12 subject, um, it's just given me that lifelong love of music and I think for, you know, learning an instrument, it's given me a love of classical music in addition to, to more regular pop music, um, I guess. <laughs> um, and it's really made me appreciate a whole range of different genres um, and it's it's a love that I have today. I can still go um, and sit at the piano and um, and have a, have a little play around and, and I've certainly been able to instill that love of music in, into one of my children um, so it's, it's great to see him starting to, to develop and learn um, an, an instrument as well. We're going to explore further your experience of school in a moment, but you started to talk a little bit about now and, and still having, um, being able to hold on, hold on to some of those things that, that you learnt at school and, and, and developed a love for and a passion for, including music. What happened after school in terms of, um, you're a student leader. In fact, you're the school captain. Um, academically, did you perform as well as you wanted to? And then where did that lead you to after school? Yeah, I, I probably didn't perform as well as I would have liked, um, but I certainly didn't feel that that closed any doors either. Um, and I, I certainly went okay. Um, I went on and did an arts degree because at that, at that point in time, I, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I felt that that was a broad enough degree that I could try my hand at a few different things. Um, so I did subjects like criminology and philosophy. Um, I was quite interested in, in criminology at that time. So I did a couple of subjects in that area. Um, so I finished my arts degree and then I went off traveling, traveled the world for about 18 months, um, came back for about three months in between, but, um, I just, I love travelling and that's been a big part of my life. Um, and I think during my travels, I, I sort of, I think I've, I've always been quite altruistic. I've always sort of wanting to to make the world a better place, save the world, so to speak, um, which is a nice idea. <laughs> but then, you know, how on earth do you put that kind of idea into reality? And I guess on my travels, you know, gave me the freedom in my mind not to have any responsibilities and I guess I was really thinking through well, how can I make that idea a reality? Um, I was very interested in the United Nations at that time. There were particular um, criminal courts and, and issues happening in the world in former Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia and Rwanda, and I was really fascinated by those those um, international criminal courts. Um, so I came back to Melbourne and enrolled in a master's in international law and focused on human rights law um, and humanitarian law. Um, so that was one way I, I could see of trying to turn my idea into a reality. Mm. Um, and I loved that degree. It was just fabulous. 
So the notion of serving others and helping others, and, and I agree with you, the, the intent for me as an individual, you as an individual, to, to make a difference and to try and make the world a better place because of our contribution, that, that is a good sentiment. And you've actually taken uh, action on that and you've gone and done further study. Did that lead to uh, you actually practicing? It was that what, what was next in terms of um, your contribution? Yeah, so when I was at, at uni, I was just um, looking at the notice board there. There was a, a job advertisement for a graduate project manager for what turned out to be, well, it's an engineering company, but they have an international development division. And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty good. So I went and applied and I got the job. Um, and that literally started my now 20-year career in international development work um, where I've worked for a couple of different companies and I guess gradually moving away from international development as a technical area for me, but more moving into to leadership and management of um, an international development business. Um, so it, it's been a it, it's been an, it was an industry I never knew existed at the time, um, and I think it's an industry that's become a lot more popular um, as the years have gone by. I think as the world's you know as globalizations increased, people are much more aware of what's going on in the world. Um, much more aware of things that aren't perhaps as perhaps going so well in the world and, and want to also make a difference. Um, so I've certainly seen a rise in, in younger people being really interested and fascinated by international development work and wanting to, to get a part of it. We're recording this in the midst of COVID and the restrictions and many people are still working from home and, and we're getting closer to perhaps some of the restrictions opening up. And uh, given the global circumstance and situation at the moment, and and I might be misquoting this or, or I might be down downright wrong, but it seems to me that nothing has quite brought the globe to not necessarily a standstill, but an opportunity to stop and reflect and wonder and consider or reconsider our purpose, reconsider our trajectory, reconsider the impact that we're having on each other and 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 our and our world, our earth. What does your role look like day to day now? What's your title and and what do you actually do day to day? Um so I just um actually joined a new company uh, beginning of this year. Um, my role is essentially to grow a development assistance business um, for this company. Um, so I'm a, yeah, I don't know what, well, my title I think is manager development assistance, um, something like that. Um, so my day-to-day, -day, I mean, in the international development space and the, the area that I'm involved in, there's a number of different facets to it. You can go and work for NGOs, for example, um, academia is also a strong part of international development and, and research. But the, the part that I'm involved with um, is, is for-profit in international development. So we're, we're a business um, that intends to make money. Um, and really the work that we do is business development. So writing proposals, tenders for, you know, to win very large projects, multi-million dollar projects. 
Um, and then the, the second part of the role of the work is really um, project management and implementing those projects that you win. So the projects are anywhere, I mean, generally 10 to $200 million projects. So they're, they're pretty big um, with a focus um, on the Indo- on the Indo-Pacific region. So my day-to-day is, is doing a lot of writing, um, a lot of organising um, and getting yourself prepared and, and organised for, for projects and, and prepared for, for proposals that might be six months, 12 months out. So, so just to clarify, even for my own thinking, international development is about trying to engage internationally and in your circumstance, try and get work, try and pitch for work and, and, and write the, um, the proposal and, and win the deal so that then your company, your organisation can then go and do the work, not just within Australia, but, but have a, a broader market. Absolutely. So the projects are, are implemented overseas. Um, and international development really is about, I mean, there's lots of different definitions, but for me it's about trying to make the, the world a better place for as many people, um, making it more equitable and more just and people, you know, less people in poverty. So the projects that we, we work on, it might be a large infrastructure project, um, to, to support a, an improved water supply and sanitation system, for example, or it might be improving roads so there's greater access to, to, to markets and to education and health facilities, those sorts of things. Um, yeah, so it's, an, it's a very interesting field. Um, yes. And for me it's been a real privilege, I think, to have worked in this industry, to have been able to, to make a, a small difference in, in some people's lives um, I'm probably a bit more cynical now than I was 20 years ago, but I'm definitely more cynical about it all. Um, I think AIDS highly political, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's certainly not as altruistic as I would have. <laughs> well, when I first started, it's definitely not as, as altruistic as I thought it would be. Yes. You, you've certainly helped me and I think those who are listening in to to remember again the need to expand our interpretation or understanding or scope of what is helpful. You know, on one hand, you can make a difference, you can contribute by listening to somebody, by helping them, by giving them food, by, um, you know, maybe donating money or, or and hoping that an organisation will be there on the ground to care for them. But actually, as you say, building better roads is helpful. Giving, giving villages or communities access to clean water, that is incredibly helpful and useful. And somebody has to build the road. Somebody has to plan it. Somebody's got to, you know, jump through all the, the legal and, and I guess the civil hoops that might be there. So actually you in your space in lockdown Melbourne, Victoria, working out of your own home, are making a difference internationally, which is... Brilliant. Thank you for the work that you do. Yep. I sometimes feel very far far removed from that, you know, sitting in my little home office in Melbourne. But, um, yeah, I mean, life still continue. People still have really poor sanitation or, or no sanitation. So, you know, it's really important that this, this work does, does, get continue, does get to continue in, in this, um, this COVID world that we're in. 
This podcast is called Inspired by Yarra, and I wonder if you can dip back to your time at school. Was there something that that you encountered that has either equipped you to do the work that you're doing, and and by the sounds of it, writing and and the humanities and the English part of it might be part of that, but also that that nurturing in your character of somebody who wants to help who wants to make the world a better place is that something that you can see the beginnings of back when you were a a student um i think so um i i asked my parents actually a little while ago what did i want to be when i grew up because i couldn't remember which is a bit sad um and they they said that very early on i'd always wanted to to help other people um so I think it was something that's always been there for me. Um, but I think, it, I mean, my, I just loved my time at Yarra. It just gave me so much opportunity to to go out in the world and, and make a positive contribution. Um, and I think that's that's the same for everybody in my year level as I'm, and I'm sure the, the school in, in entirety. But, you know, I think just having that, those opportunities to, to try a whole range of different things that you may not have um, wanted to get involved in, um, it was all there for you and it was completely up to you to, to have a go and that was really encouraged. Um, and I think, you know, that philosophy, mindset, whatever, it, it just gives you that, that quiet confidence, I guess, to, to try the things once you've left school to, you know, to get out there and, and pursue the areas that you're interested in. Mm, absolutely. You talked a little bit about travel before and your love for travel and and perhaps that did actually, um, I guess, fuel the the notion of helping internationally and and your enjoyment of travel. Once we're able to, we're going to be encouraged to, I think, to travel again eventually – what are a couple of places that you have been to that would be strong recommendations if we're, you know, we're thumbing through and I want you to think of an Australian based, but then also an international somewhere that you go, I've been there and I would recommend that we go there. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> there's so many, um, there's so many in Australia. Um, oh gosh. I mean, going, I think going out into the outbacks pretty amazing. Um, you know, certainly us being on the East Coast, it's quite easy to, to continue, you know, for, for us in Melbourne to drive north and, and head up to the, the sunshine, which, of course, is a fabulous thing to do. Um, and the Great Barrier Reef is amazing. Um, I've actually got a holiday planned, fingers crossed, to go to Darwin in April next year. So I'm hoping that will be, you know, we'll be able to do that. Um, and just to explore, um, you know, the Northern Territory and the, the Tiwi Islands, I'm really keen to get to. Um, but one trip that my husband and I, my husband and I did, um, I was seven months pregnant at the time, and um, we flew to Broome, and then we hired a camper van and drove down the, the west coast of Australia down to Perth, and um, that was an amazing trip. And can highly recommend places like Karajini National Park. Um, which was just amazing. Um, we got to swim with whale sharks at Ningaloo Reef, which is definitely one of the highlights of my travelling life. Um, seven months pregnant, it was a bit, <laughs> I felt a bit like a whale myself. Um, 
but that was that was a fabulous trip. So would highly rec- recommend um, doing that. Fantastic. And I wonder, uh, and I, I haven't explored Western Australia a lot, but but from Broome went sort of headed east across like the Gibb River Road and, and sort of stayed further north. And, and I can tell you, and, and I've never been pregnant, but some of those roads, that would uh, that would be quite a challenge, I'm sure, when you're uh, you're sitting there seven months pregnant. Absolutely, there were times when I was I was literally holding my stomach in because <laughs> there was a lot of corrugated iron to go over, um, and yeah, the roads were pretty dirty and dusty. <laughs> Absolutely, and you've constantly got to be on the lookout for something wandering across the road, having no no awareness, no street knowledge. Some of those um, those native animals. What about internationally? Where would be a place? And and if you want to, perhaps you could turn it into something that you would love to go to. What's something that's kind of on your list? So I think for me, um, probably my top priority is going to Jordan. Um, I'd really love to go and see Petra and go to the Dead Sea. Um, I, I've done an awful lot of travel already. I'm very lucky to have, to have done a lot um, already, but... Um, so Jordan probably is number one. I'd love to go to Scandinavia and go to places like Norway and go right up to the Arctic Circle. Um, uh, Central America, I'd love to go to as well. Costa Rica and um, Belize, Guatemala, those sorts of countries. Um, and then there's a whole range of places that I'd, I'd love to go back to as well. Um, and parts of um, Africa, there's a few countries and well, there's a lot of Africa I'd love to go and visit. Um, and take the family on safari one day would be would be fabulous. Absolutely. I wonder, can you tell us a little bit about family life at the moment? Where, how many, how many children? Where are they at? What are they doing? Are they coping okay? Yeah. So I've got two two primary school aged boys, um, grade six and grade four. So I was pretty thrilled um, with the news on the weekend that the primary school kids can go back um, a bit earlier. Um, very thrilled about that. Um, my husband uh, is, hasn't been working for the majority of this year. He's um, he has his own business in in and he's a trained chef. So his key game is the hospitality sector, which clearly has been um, pretty decimated by COVID. Um, so homely life, home life has been the four of us camping out at home essentially. Um, you know, going out as much as we can on our walks and our, our daily exercising. Um, but it's been it's been pretty hard. The, the kids are definitely on the screens more than what we would like, but at the same time they're happy and um, they get, get they get to play with their mates um, a fair bit of the day. So from a mental health perspective, I think they're, they're going pretty well. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, it, it's been it's been hard. I'm sure it's it's hard for all of us. Um, but at the same time, you also know that it's there's other people out there that are doing it tougher, and I think it's those sorts of mind games that you play with, that you have with yourself, that make it that, that make it challenging. Mm, mm. I really appreciate the the depth that you're thinking and exploring, and you know your education has been part of that, but so too your willingness to be open to what life is teaching you along the way and and no doubt travel helps to keep it broad i wonder because people won't be listening to this until after 
COVID, at least the lockdowns have and the restrictions have have lifted. And we trust at this point, and, and we're recording this in September of 2020, we trust that at least for Melbourne, Victoria, the pathway out is fairly steady and we don't go back into lockdown and, and all of those sorts of terrible possibilities. But I wonder, Kristen, if as you look back, what do you think we're going to learn? What are the what are what are the outcomes? What what has gotten better in either in your family, in your street, in your local community, or maybe on a broader scale, whether that be nationally or maybe even internationally? What what do you think? Now nobody knows. Like we didn't know COVID was coming. We had no idea, of course, and we don't really know what it's going to be afterwards. But but like any significant moment in history, there is a pre and a post. We're right on the cusp of heading towards life after COVID. I mean, it'll still be here, but we'll have found a way to manage it. But what do you think we've learnt? What? How have we gotten better at doing this thing called life? That's a great question. Um I think firstly I hope we do learn from it and we don't just revert back to to the old ways of life um, whatever that might mean for us individually as a family as a community as a community um, I think for, for yeah so I, I certainly don't want to go back to the way it was and and I think for me what it was was a very fast-paced life where I think you can lose track of really what's important um, and I think those social connections, I think having not having the ability to see our families and friends has really driven home how important those social connections are. So I think hopefully that's going to be something that improves for the better. There's a lot, there'll be a lot more communication, a lot more engagement um, with family and friends than perhaps in the past. I'd like to hope that's the case. Um, I'd like it. I'd like to think that we do take a slower paced life. Um, you know, yes, it's important for your kids and for yourself to be trying. You know, tennis, soccer, music, debating, whatever it is. Um, but you know, we're, we're driving ourselves into the ground a little bit. I think you know, ferrying our children here, here, there, and everywhere. Um, let alone what we might want to do as an individual or as a couple. Um, so again really breaking that down into what's important for us and what make what, what really makes us happy and what we get enjoyment out of. Um, I think internationally it, it's fascinating. I think you said earlier, you know, it's really been a moment in time where the whole world really is being impacted by, by COVID and is an opportunity for the whole world to get together to address it. I think, you know, in, in many cases that's been the case. Um I guess I do get concerned about, um, you know, a, a few countries and, and their ability or lack of to to really be part of that global response. Um, but I think, you know, we've seen a lot in the news around the benefits, that, you know, all of our lack of travel, whether that's by car, by plane, has had on the environment. So I'd like to think that there's been some some positive differences around the, the impact, you know, humans have on the environment. Um, and I'd like to see some of that continue. I don't know how or in what form, but that would be great that, you know, Mother Earth kind of starts to heal itself a little bit. I think that would be a really great, um, a really great outcome from COVID. 
Yeah. I don't know whether it's generational because you and I are of the same generation or whether it's a common feeling for most. Maybe it's the parent connection. Maybe it's the the being an adult now working from home and the challenges of that. But a lot of what you say resonates for me and I'm sure that it's going to resonate for others who are listening to this further down the track. And I guess for me, it comes down to, I have hopes and dreams for how the community and how society and how the world will respond. And and as you say, some of the benefits, some of the the, the chances that our world has had to, to stop and take a breath. But in the end, for me and my experience and the people who I can have contact with, it really comes back to me. I've, I've got to be the one to not go back to the way life was, not to reschedule everything and not to be... I, I really I connect with that notion of buzzing around and racing around and dropping the kids to this and doing that. And I mean, it's all good. But maybe, maybe you really can have too much of a good thing, and and perhaps COVID has helped us to stop around the dinner table a little longer and have some different conversations than normally. It was quickly eat. I've got to go and pick up somebody or drop somebody off or go and do this, and and that is certainly one of the things I've appreciated. Albeit there are times when in our home we've had enough of each other mostly it has led to conversations and experiences that otherwise we wouldn't have had. And yes, I know people are doing it tough. And yes, I know there are enormous challenges, both locally, you know, our neighbours, but also much wider than that. But I, I do hope that we've had the chance and people really do take a moment to stop and think what, what have I learned? What can I do differently? But then we actually take action on that and and not just let society, community, our calendar, everything just take over again and get us back into a particular rhythm or pace that is not good for us long term. It's harder to do than to say, and, and I acknowledge that, but... Gee, I hope we, I hope we really do take on board some of those sorts of things that you've been talking about. Thanks for reflecting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to add, you know, everyone, well, majority of people have been forced to work from home um, for this period, and I think that in itself is going to potentially really impact the way we work in the future. Um, I mean, I hope it does. Um, you know, I, I myself before COVID would, would work two or three days from home and commute into to Richmond a couple of days a week. Um, but that has really opened up that opportunity for so many more people. I think there'll be, you know, the, the impact of what the city's going to look like in a couple wow. of years' time and beyond is going to be really fascinating. Um, but, yeah, I think just certainly, you know, not potentially having that commute every day is going to make a, a difference hopefully, that, you know, we can claw back some of those hours that we can have for ourselves and for our families and friends. That's right. And not just fill it with more work because I, I know without the commute, you just go, oh, it means I can get more done. But actually, maybe we need to put some things in there for us that are good for us and, and our family. Chris, and you, 
I appreciate we've, we've got a time frame here and you've been really generous and I appreciate that. I want to move now into, a, 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 I guess, a part of our conversation called the lightning round where I'm going to throw a really couple of quick um, questions at you and they might be sort of one word or short sentence answers. For example, what house were you in when you were at Yarra? I think Hughes. Hughes. The gold so one. You, you would, <laughs> yes, that sounds right. <laughs> so what contribution did you make to Hughes? Were you a an athlete? Were you a, I guess, debating for house debating maybe? Was there, you know, the house system up and strong when, when you were at Yarra? Yeah, it definitely was um, strong. Um, I don't think we had debating um, in the houses, but um, I was I, I did a tiny bit of swimming um, and athletics. Okay. You've told us a little bit about your music contribution. Is there a particular music performance that you remember being part of? Whether it be maybe you, you were on the stage and you were performing, maybe you had a solo, maybe maybe you hit the notes just right, or, or perhaps it was a time you were in the audience and you were watching your classmates perform. Is there a particular performance that comes to mind? Um, uh, it's a drama performance, so not a music one, um, but... Uh, we did Streetcar Named Desire um, and I got to share the role of Blanche Dubois, um, which was a fabulous experience. It was very difficult remembering all the lines. Um, but, yeah, I, I loved that um, that particular performance. It was great. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about um, growing up and, and where you lived when you came to Yarra and what was the school travel looking like? Did you walk? Did you catch the bus? Did you ride your bike? No, so I, I grew up in Park Orchards, um, so I generally was driven um, to school in the mornings and um, generally caught a bus to Ringwood Station and then caught another bus back out um, to Park Orchards. Um, but the commute was fabulous because I used to go to school in Camberwell, um, so that was a massive commute for me every day. Um, so what was about an hour and a half commute um, coming home, it turned into about 30, 40 minutes coming home from Yarra, so it was, it was much better. That is much better. That's good. What was your, uh, your first car once you got to start driving? Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because my, my, you know, I was very lucky that my parents bought me a car for my 18th, so there's absolutely no complaints there. Um, it was a, a white Commodore, which in hindsight, well, it, it was not my top, top pick for a first car. Um, but very grateful that I was given one. Um, so I think quite quickly after I was given that, I went and bought myself a, um, <laughs> it was a Volkswagen convertible. It was canary yellow. Um, it was a Baja Beetle convertible. It was a fabulous car, loved it. <laughs> um, so I kind of, I think of that as my first car. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, li- I like that. And is that because you like the fun of it or you like to be um, noticed as you were driving around town? No, it was definitely the fun of it. Um, and I love yellow as a colour. It's my favourite colour. Um, so, yeah, it definitely, it did, it did definitely stand out though. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell me what, if you can think back to, what would we find in your lunchbox when you're coming to school? Oh, gosh. Um, my mum was fairly health conscious, so I'm sure it was a, a healthy sandwich in brown multigrain bread. It would never be white bread. Um, 
I'm sure a piece of fruit would be in there and some some snack. I honestly cannot remember a single lunch that I had. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I said, my mum was fairly health conscious, so it would have been would have been fairly healthy. I remember growing up, we we never wanted that bread that had bits in it, that multigrain. That's no good. Yeah, no, that's that's all we had. <laughs> If um, if you had the opportunity to have some friends over for dinner, what would be something that you might prepare for them? What what's what's on the menu at your place for dinner? Well, my husband would prepare because he's oh the chef. yes yes. <laughs> so I'm very very lucky. Um, oh, just something fresh and and seasonal. Um, I'm sure it would include some sort of meat or protein and lots of yummy salads and vegetables. Um, Fantastic. I do the baking, so I'd probably bake a cake or some sort of dessert. Nice. So let's let's have your husband on board. He's going to prepare the dinner, but you get to invite some guests. You've got two or three seats around your table. Who are some people uh, in history, past, present, future, who you would love to invite over for dinner at your place? Oh, goodness. Um well, I think just being um, being in, in COVID now, it would definitely be some close family and friends. Um, so having my mum and dad over, I know that might sound a bit boring, um, but, yeah, sitting down and having a meal with them and a couple of my really close friends. Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. My last question, because time is against us now, and I wonder if you can think back to our school motto, Lavavi Oculus. Do you recall what that means and... Now, what does it mean? Was it lift up your eyes? Yes, very good, yes. Um, I think for me it means it's, I think I said earlier what, what Yara gave me was a, a quiet confidence to lead a productive life in society. And I think many of my friends um, from, from school have done similarly. Um, I think it's about continually moving forward and um and chasing your dreams um I, I see and I know that sort of sounds a bit airy-fairy but it's I see so many people that have been to Yarra who who have gone out and done so many different things um it's really eclectic and I think that's a really fabulous um a fabulous thing to have come out of Yarra um that it's given us that foundation to be able to have that confidence to lift up our eyes and think, what can the world, what where could we, what can we, what can we contribute to the world? Mm, fantastic, Kristen Collins from the class of nineteen ninety two. Thank you for your time. Thanks for taking us on a journey through your own thinking and reflecting on the world and and your experience of it. The Inspired by Yarra podcast seeks to recognise where yogs, Yarra old grammarians, have been inspired by Yarra. But you not only have been inspired by Yarra, but for those who listen, will very much resonate with the notion of you being an inspiration to Yarra. I really appreciate somebody who's got aspirations, got dreams, wants the world to be a better place, but is actually getting in there, getting their hands dirty and doing their bit to make it happen. So thanks for your time. Thanks for your conversation. It's uh, been certainly a, a wonderful journey and an experience for me. So thank you and uh, all the best for the way forward. Oh, thanks so much, Paul. It was great having a chat. Really enjoyed it. 
Well, that all but wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And I hope you found this conversation with Kristen Collins as enjoyable as I did. As I mentioned midway through, there was a connection there, whether it's because we actually both graduated in the same year, 1992. Perhaps it's part of our life experience of seeking to make an impact and finding our own way to do that. Perhaps it's the COVID experience of working from home and families at home and longing for the time to spend quality time again with not only our immediate family but our extended family and friends. Felt like there was a lot that Kristen had to share with us that certainly resonated for me and I hope that it encouraged you and gave you some things to think about as well. We have many episodes in our library of conversations with Yarra Olgramarians on the Inspired by Yarra podcast and you can find a full library of those at the yvg.vic.edu.au slash community section of the school website and we'd love to hear how you're enjoying these episodes we'd love you to share it with others and perhaps even offer a recommendation of somebody whom you are aware is a yog and perhaps has a story or two to share as well and i hope you'll join us next time when we sit down again with another yarra old grammarian to explore their journey through school and where the events, the twists and turns of life have taken them since. My name's Paul Joy, and on behalf of everyone here at Yarra, and in particular those who work hard behind the scenes to put these conversations together to share them with you, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you adopt some intentionality and you go out and make a positive impact in the world around you. Mm-hmm.